This is Dialogue, a podcast series from American Mosaic. As I travel around the country, I meet some uh, interesting people. And uh, this episode uh, is uh, stories from three people in different parts of the country, uh, young people who are entrepreneurs, uh, have uh, started businesses, and uh, found their version of the American dream. Uh, the first one is uh, Sergio, uh, a young Mexican-American uh, butcher in uh, Wisconsin. The uh, second is uh, Lou, an immigrant from uh, France in uh, Burbank, California, who uh, is a pastry chef and uh, left France to become a pastry chef in the U.S. The third is... Uh, Levi uh, in southern Iowa. Levi is uh, Amish, a very young man uh, that uh, bought a general store and has turned it into an extremely successful business and is very much an entrepreneur with some interesting ideas. All these conversations uh, are inspiring and uh, part of who we are today as Americans. Doing it for 
five, six years now. So, I mean, now, I mean, I have a good idea of everything. I'm teaching these guys how to cut now instead of me being the student. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Do you feel any uh, the impact with the when the economy went down in Janesville? Problem for you? Um, a little bit. Um, you know, everybody is struggling. I mean, especially. I mean, comedy went down when I graduated high school, so it was like I felt it. It was hard to find a job. Uh, I was always part time. Um, that's why I kind of got this place, just because. I knew I would have work. You know? Yeah, it seems uh, like the fellow that I was just talking to was saying that you you uh, have some of this meat. Yeah, uh, I would imagine that stuff is good for those guys. Stuff comes up for you. It's just kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like they struggle too. I mean, sometimes their crops. Sometimes it rains too much and it gets flooded. Uh, they lose their crops, or sometimes it's dry and they're not getting enough rain. Even with beef, sometimes beef goes up and people don't want to buy meat. So, I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, it's not like it's a it's it's a tough uh, market, uh, especially now that everybody you know they don't really know what they're getting in their meat at stores and it's cheap, but you don't know what's in it and what they're injecting it with. Here, you know, we know where we see the animal. We cut it up right here. And we put it in our showcase. And, um, but you know what? Uh, what it's been fed to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, you go to Walmart, you don't know where it's coming from, how long it's been frozen, how long it's been on the shelves. I mean, they put stuff on it so it stays red a really long time. So here, no, I mean, meat goes brown in a day to a week. And, I mean, it's just aging. I mean, it's not that bad. So, That's what happened. Um, so, you know, 
turns around. <laughs> you know, you know. Yesterday, you were talking about the American dream. Tell me a little bit about uh, you know, where you were, why you came here. Uh, talk to me about the American dream. So, the American dream. Um, for me, uh, I was born in France, um, and, you know, I grew up watching movies, American movies, and, you know, you dream about, like, going there, and playing basketball, um, you watch a lot of games, and there's a, a culture behind that, it's, you know, the hip-hop, R&B, American music, mostly. Uh, behind the whole basket, basketball thing. So you grew up watching that and, uh, you know, it grows in you. It grows in you and uh, uh, there's something about there that you don't know but you need to explore. Um, so, you know, it's just uh, I believe in energy and um, for me to be uh, so attracted about America uh, brought me here. You know, um, it's... Um, People would call it luck. I think to me it was um, it was meant to be. I won the green card lottery and uh, came here and uh, decided to be a pastry chef. You know, and um, and the fact that I said that I decided to be a pastry chef to me is the American dream. You decide what you want to do and you just do it. And the only way for you to to be successful is to do it the best as you can. You know, so to me, it's, that's the American dream. Some people would think like American dream is to make a lot of money. For me, it's it's just to uh, be able to do what you want to do. You know. Tell me a little bit about uh, the process. What did you have to do to become a pastry chef? And what kind of pastries? What do you make here? What do you do? So to be a pastry chef, I was playing professional basketball in France. And um, to be a pastry chef, I had to sacrifice a lot. So I stopped playing basketball, and um, basketball was done was not going so well because I was getting hurt um, every year. So it was like it was in, in the back of my head, like it's just a matter of time until I retired and do something else. Even though I was still young, I was like 28 at the time, um, still young for a professional career. But then. I won the green card at the same time, so it was like a call for me to do something different. And um, so randomly I had a friend that wanted to be um, to open a pastry shop in, um, in the state. And uh, I went with him to another chef to learn how to bake. And it just came natural to me. It, it was just like basketball. You practice, you're good. You don't, you suck. You know, it, it, it's that simple, you know. For me, with my previous experience, you know, so um, putting up, you know, hours and hours of work, I'm not scared about that. You know, to me, it's just a natural thing. You want to be good at something, you just work. And um, so that's what I did. And then it started to be fun. It started to be really, really fun because the more you practice, the more um, experience you get, you know, and the better you get. So I started to um, to get really good at baking and, um, you know, just sharing with friends and family uh, the, the stuff that I was making. 
uh, it became really like easy to to say we're gonna open a business, you know. And um, so we came here. Uh, we found a job in a French school, which was really good because um, we share what we were doing with the whole French community, and um, you know it was just a thumbs up. You know they really liked it, and um, so we started a little business on the side, some catering, birthday cakes, and then um, we went to the farmers market, where like it was really clear that we needed to go to the next level and open a shop, and um, so now we open. We've been open for like a year and three months, and um, now it's the, we need to make another step. You know, so the future will tell us where we, what we're gonna do. Um, but so far, it's going well. In today's world, we have this great divide. Politics is dividing us. So many things go around. Uh, but uh, you where you are, uh, is this anything that I mean, concerns, uh, or you just kind of got your head down doing your thing? Or? Um. You know, you have concern. You definitely need to have concern because um, it's not all about me. Right now, I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm touched by um, what the people in power are doing. It's not towards me. You know, I'm not affected by it, but a lot of people are, are affected by it. So, you know, I'm concerned about that for sure. But then, um, you know, I believe that politics for certain people is just four years, you know, so we just have to, to let those four years go and, and we'll see. If you're paying 2%, maybe uh, your perspective on uh, American politics coming from France, Europe, it's probably it's different crazy. from someone who is, who is born here. It's definitely different. Everything is so different. Um, you know, um, when you have someone in power and, um, you know, and talks about the health insurance, for example, for me, talking about the health insurance like it's a business, um, that's not right. But it's from my culture. So it's hard for me to understand that talking about health insurance like it's a business, you know, it's right. I feel like it's really wrong, you know. Um, it's your country. Of course you want health insurance for everyone. You know, if you could get it for free, just get it for free. Because people need to get healthy, you know. Um, so it's, it's the shock of culture that's really different for me. You know, school is it's, it's not a business for me. It's something that the, the, your country needs to provide, you know. So it's just a cultural thing. It's different. Wife. Um, my family's still back in, in France. You know, mom, dad, brother and sister. Uh, my wife is French too, so her parents are in France right now. They gonna come here? You know, I hope so. Her brother, her brother is coming on Friday, so that's a good news for us to see him, spend some time with him. Um, she's also a flight attendant, so we get to see them very often. Not as often now that we have the business, 
you know, we uh, we really work like Americans now. You know, we don't have a day off. So that's a cultural thing, you know. In France, we need to have those two days off during the week. And, uh, you know, five weeks of vacation every year. Um, we don't have that here. So, I mean, right now I'm, I'm, I'm 34. I'm, I'm willing to work. I don't have kids yet, so it's my time, you know, to do the best that I, I can do for the future. That's interesting. In, uh, in France, you've got these these holidays and you've got these given things. People expect that. And then you come here pursuing the dream and you're just work, 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 work. Kind of a whole different mindset. Yes. But, you know, it, it, it helps you understand that you take a lot of stuff for granted. And when I was in France, I was taking those five weeks for granted because I grew up like that, you know. But then, you know, leaving your country, going to another culture, and, and you find out that that's not something that you should take it for granted, those five weeks. Um, now I understand that um, I took it for granted for so long, and, and you see the good and bad in, you know, in America and in France. And for me right now, I have more good than bad, so that, that's the reason why I'm here. You know, the day I feel the, the opposite, maybe I'll go back, but I don't see the reason why, you know, I feel good here. I moved here from Virginia when I was 19 years old, so I spent most of my formative years there. I, was, I never actually grew up, but that's where I was raised. So I was raised on a dairy farm, milking cows, and we learned how to work hard, put in long days and short nights, so that's a large part of doing retail. So I had originally did electrical wiring between high school and 19 for about a year and a half, and helped, when I moved out here, wire a steakhouse, and then in the winter, like pretty much all the construction jobs are done. They close down, just can't, it's can't hardly work in the winter out here. So I worked for the previous owner here for about two and a half years, and it wasn't really working out. He had some other business interests, and the store wasn't really his focus. So when I was 21, I just I got married when I was 20. Moved out here to get married. Um, we approached him and were able to buy the store from him then. And it was just part of the American dream, you know, 21 years old. Um, my parents loaned me some of the money there, and then I borrowed the other from the bank because my dad is, will not co-sign. Uh, he says in Proverbs, he who is surety for a friend will surely fall or something like that. So, yeah, just part of the American dream. And then uh, the first six months were really rough. It was brutal. Retail bought in October 1st of 2012, and you know, come March we were really struggling. I had lost like 15 pounds. I don't know what that was, which isn't a lot, but hey, I had a way a lot to start with. Um, yeah, so my wife and I were, you know, trying to figure out what it's going to take. I, I still remember like having the thought, struggling with this, like you know, what if if I've got a wife and kids and a family and I'm driving down the road, like what would make me want to stop and shop? And, and every store needs to figure that out for themselves, really, because like every consumer is hit with thousands and thousands of marketing messages a day. Like you know, what's it going to take to make them stop? So I'm like, you know, if, if I saw a sign that said free ice cream, I think I would stop. But like, I will, when I'm traveling, I go home to visit my parents in Virginia, I don't stop. Like, we stopped three times for fuel, and that's pretty much it. So, yeah, so we decided, hey, we're going to put up signs that say free ice cream cones. And not trying to copy 
what they did out in South Dakota with um, wall drug, the free ice water, but maybe just a little. I mean, hey, it worked for them. Why not in southern Iowa, right? So, yeah, talked to a lot of people. Everybody said, or basically everybody, said it would probably never work and that we would go broke within the first six months trying it. And I'm like, and I had one guy say, look, what are you going to do if at the end of the month you've given away like $600 worth of ice cream? I was like, hey, tell you what, man, like, it, basically the cost on the cone and the mix, not no machine, no labor, just bare cost is like 25 cents per cone. I'm like, well, 600 bucks by the 25 cents is 2,400 ice cream cones. My average sale is, at that time, was like 20 bucks. Average margin, say we're making $7 per transaction times 2,400 transactions. I'm like, hey, praise the Lord, you know? Like, I'm not gonna worry about it. So we tried anyway, and our sales like instantly doubled. We were very blessed. And so yeah, we've just been having a lot of fun since then. I mean, there's still a lot of struggles, um, keeping good help. Uh, we do pretty good with that. Really low turnover on help, but it's still a constant thing gonna work with with people. Um, and then uh, just recently, hearing in the news about all the, the stores closing down and stuff, tried to add more revenue streams to the company to add stability. And so we started kind of sell products online. And we found a local Amish guy that was building poly lawn furniture, and yet he wasn't, he wasn't really being prosperous at it. And we're like, hey, we thought we'd, this would be a good match. We can help him out. He's got like a wife and 10 kids. You know, so he's got a lot of mouths to feed. So we, we buy all the material, deliver it to him, and then he builds it for us. So it's AmishMadePoly.com, and he, yeah, he builds 24 chairs every day. We're trying to get that up to 50. So his, some of his daughters are getting married, and his son-in-laws want to help build. So yeah, it's been a true blessing for him and us as well. So uh, this is a big, uh, big Amish community? Yes, sir. And, uh, and also is a, a Mennonite and Amish? Or, uh... Yeah, so within about a 10-mile radius, there's about 300 Amish families within a 10-mile radius of here. So it's one of the larger settlements on the west of the Mississippi River, if not the largest. Uh, and then the Mennonites, this, there's not a large concentration right here. About 20, 25 miles south and west, there's a lot of, a lot of Mennonites there. We're kind of on the western side of that, that, that group. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of people uh, kind of concerned about uh, this sort of divisiveness in the country now, kind of what's going on. Yeah. And, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of things that seem to have surfaced and uh, some kind of some ugly stuff. And, uh, uh, around here and for your community and your people and mm-hmm. your family, uh, yeah. what do you think? How does that, you have thoughts about that? Can we be honest? Yeah, I'm honest. <laughs> All right, so I actually, I went to a private school um, and, and a large, large part of the reason people look at Amish and Mennonites, they're like, man, you know, the concentration of people to the amount of businesses that are owned is insane compared to the rest of the country, the general Americans. And, and a large part of that is, uh, I think it was back in the 50s maybe, I, I wasn't alive then, but from what I hear, um, in the Supreme Court hearings for the school systems, it was stated that if they could control the education, then they can control the people. And, and that was a large concern to the Christian population then, not one to be controlled by the government, have that infiltration. And so, yeah, we, we're not as affected by that as what some populations are, because a lot of them, our churches either have their own school or the children be homeschooled. 
And that has its negatives as well. It's, it's not all positive, but like, yeah, I, I skipped college and bought this when I was 21. Um, there's, and I would never, a lot of people don't like me saying this, but I would never encourage anybody to go to college unless they're pursuing a specific dream. A lot of these kids go because they can't get a job without having a, a college degree. Well, it's totally wrong. I took night classes at a VOTAC school. That, that was a part of the public education system. Um, but it was different. You know, I, I went to learn specific trades. And then I got a job because of that. Instead of spending 30000 a year on a college, hoping to get a job when I get out, I started working and took night classes. And, the, and any employer in America today is going to value that. I think so. My humble opinion. They're going to value that more so than you tell them, yeah, I sat behind the desk for four years and I have three letters after my name. Because, like, right now, everybody has that. They want people that will work, that are innovative, that know how to think, not what to think. So a lot of our education system today, I think, and I skipped college, so, you know, what do I know? But it's teaching them what to think, not how to think. So the private school that I went to, they focused a lot on um, mind development, how to analytically think, think analytically, not just absorb data. You know, instead of sitting behind a desk absorbing data for four years in college, they wanted you to, to go out and learn how to think analytically, um, see issues, be able to formulate opinions, um, and accurately, and, and in a biblical worldview as well. Through the, through the lens of Scripture, because that's a large part of, of who we are, and, and we truly believe that God did create the world. And so, yeah, when the government took over education, a lot of that changed. So that's, I think that's a large part of when America started going downhill politically, um, morally as well, is when the government took over the educational system. <laughs> that's my side of the story. <laughs> Very good. That's great. You said a lot. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, you're going to do, you're doing well, you're going to do, you're going to continue to do well. Uh, I just, I know with uh, how you think about things and your energy and uh, your people skills. Yeah. Well, praise the Lord. We've been very blessed, you know, we really have. And, and a large part of, of success, anybody out there wanting to pursue an American dream, is they need to be clear about what they want to do with the success in their life. Uh, because if it's if it's for selfish motives, you you'll be moderately successful. But once you have a, a bigger, I'm not like a big philanthropist or whatever. But once once you have a greater vision for what to do with money, or or with time, once you are people are like, oh, I wish I didn't have to work, or I wish I had endless amounts of money. Well, what are you going to do with it? If you're going to sit on a beach and watch the waves, well, that's going to get old fast. Like that's cool for two days, maybe three, if you. If you like to drink, I don't know. I don't, but I drink coffee and tea. I'm a teetotaler, lots of tea. <laughs> but yeah, so you got to be clear about what you want to do with the success in your life, with the time that you that the Lord's given you, with the money, or or you'll be mildly, you won't have the drive, and it'll get old. But like one of my passions is widows. Um, the Lord said we're to take care of the widows and the orphans, right? I know a number of widows that the one her husband died left her with like a quarter of a million in debt that he had cancer trying to pay all this off and and so one of my things is I want to help them pay off all their debt and I just met another widow not long ago she's got three kids and works three part-time jobs like it's absurd this is America 
there's highly successful people out there that need to know these needs and fulfill them. And, and so that's, that's part of the reason why I believe we've been blessed and successful is because the drive that we have isn't purely selfish. If you go to bed at night, you're like, oh, yay, I made a thousand bucks today. I'm going to go do that again tomorrow. Big whoop. You know, but if you can, if you can take that and do something with it, help someone out, then, then it gives you drive to go back tomorrow. Like, yes, I can do this again. And we're going to bless people with that. And it's, it's a total from ball game. And, and you can win. Good for you. Levi, thank you. That's it for this episode of Dialogue from an American Mosaic. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoy this series, please subscribe and tell your friends about an American Mosaic. <laughs>